ولله الأسماء الحسنى فادعوه بها Hazrat Yusuf, on whom be peace, mentions God's favors by virtue of his attribute of Al-Latif, the benignant, by recalling how God was his friend, while his brothers conspired against him. According to the lexicon, Latif is a kind of gracious being, one who is benevolent to his creation, as well as one who is aware of all subtle and incomprehensible matters. Al-Latif is one who illuminates hearts, who makes arrangements for physical and spiritual nourishment, and who offers his friendship to his servants during times of tribulation. The promised Messiah on whom be peace said that sight, intellect, and consciousness cannot reach God. It is impossible to try and see Him. He is Al-Latif. He is unseen and illuminates the person he reaches to such an extent that the person speaks for him, a divine honor mostly granted upon the prophets of God. God is the knower of all subtleties and is all aware. He is of those who seek him and raises prophets to be their guide to him. His light is manifested through His prophets as they spread the light of unity of God all around them. Among all the prophets of God, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon Him, disseminated this light the most. For it was He who had the most perfect perception of God and it was He who was completely imbued in the colors of God. In the current age, because of his perfect and complete devotion and subservience to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, God has granted this distinct honor to the promised Messiah on whom be peace. It is the attribute of Al-Latif that makes God the friend of his servants in all trials and tribulations. Just as the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, continuously prayed for the reformation of his ummah as well as his opponents, as only Al-Latif can be the guidance and reformation. Al-Latif is the supporter of the victim, the voice of the oppressed. Al-Latif is that companion whose loyalty never fails to astound. It is he who fills hearts with his magnificent light. Then, should we not be grateful for the mercy of Al-Latif? You're listening to the Voice of Islam radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. I seek refuge with Allah from Satan the accursed in the name of Allah the gracious, the merciful. Peace be upon you. Good morning. 
and welcome to the Weekend World Show with me, uh, Walid Ahmed, and uh, our producer, Asan Ahmadi. The time is approaching six minutes past ten. It is Sunday the 3rd of December 2023. The Weekend World Show is an interactive broadcast. It means our listeners have the facility or the opportunity, should I say, should they wish to avail it, to ring in uh, or to post uh, uh, a message uh, on X. Uh, on anything uh, that uh, they may wish to, uh, to share their thoughts with the rest of our uh, listeners. Uh, the number to dial is 0208-687-7878. And you can post your um, uh, comments on Voice of Islam UK if you want to use the X method of communicating. Um, you can listen to the Voice of uh, Islam on DAB Radio, mobile and online, 24 hours a day broadcasting live from Beth of Fathu Mosque in Modern. Uh, the Weekend World Show, uh, let me remind our listeners, is a current affairs show with the week's news, views and reviews from a faith and non-faith perspective. It's promoting the message of peace and unity, discussing religion, politics, sports, and topics of faith and spirituality. A message of Islam for the West. Join us and share your views or stories, as I mentioned, by phoning in on 0208-687-7878 or uh, post your comments on Voice of Islam UK. Uh, let me also remind our listeners that the views on the Weekend World Show are those of the individuals and guests and not necessarily of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Um, now, um, as far as uh, what we have got in store for you, I'll run th- uh, through that in a second. But before that, let's just uh, look at what the forecasters are saying concerning the weather that uh, is going to unfold later on today and in the evening. As far as the BBC forecasters are saying that there's, there's going to be snow and ray, rain clearing eastern England this morning. Uh, followed by outbreaks of rain across Wales and England, wintry on the hills. Drier with a few coastal uh, showers uh, elsewhere and brighter for Scotland. And in the evening, outbreaks of heavy rain and brisk winds will develop across southern England and Wales this evening, pushing northwards overnight, partly cloudy in the north with wintry showers in the northeast. So uh, a decidedly wintry forecast uh, that uh, is being predicted. Uh, so that's what's in store for us as far as the weather is concerned. As far as the program is concerned, um, well, first up, we'll uh, be uh, um, reviewing some of the news stories, uh, the headlines with uh, Mr. Azar Ahmadi, uh, and particularly um, the his views on, on Gaza conflict um, we will be um, trying to glean um, another news of note. Uh, we will also have the Faith in Focus segment. Uh, that's going to be about uh, at 10.40. If you're interested in that, that make sure that you are um, tuned in at that moment. It's again continuing the discussion of aspects of the life of the founder of the Hamdi Muslim community, uh, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him. After the 11 o'clock news, uh, we'll be talking to Rabbi uh, um, Mendelbaum. Um, Rabbi Mendelbaum uh, base, is based uh, in uh, Kingston, uh, Surrey, and uh, we will be trying to take his 
uh, understanding of the Middle East uh, uh, and the current uh, developments there, rising hatred here in the UK, and what he thinks should happen to end the cycle of violence on both sides of the conflict in the uh, Palestinian-Israeli uh, dispute. We also uh, hope to be joined by Sheikh Rahman uh, to give his views on the conflict as well. So that's going to be at 11 o'clock. And then uh, what many people uh, seem to be very interested or intrigued by is the uh, Ask the Imam segment. And that's uh, going to be uh, where uh, Daniel Kalon, Imam Dalian Kalon, will be in the hot seat and will join us uh, to discuss about Islam guidance of rules of engagement uh, when it comes to war and what guidelines the Holy Prophet gave uh, regarding war and uh, when he had to engage in uh, armed conflict. Uh, so that's uh, going to take us uh, near to the end of the, prob- uh, the program and our program will not be complete without the sports section. So we hope to be speaking to Shahid Khan and uh, look at some of the um, developments that have taken in uh, in sports. The Premiership uh, is back on track with some interesting results. And also maybe uh, we will take an uh, assessment of the Cricket World Cup. There has uh, been a criticism of the tournament, particularly the role of the Indian board. Uh, so we'll be looking at that. So we're going for a short break now. So immediately after that, we resume the program with, uh, with Arsene and myself. You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. of Islam Radio. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome back after that short break. Uh, we are now coming to the first segment of our show, which is uh, the news of you, Waleed. The Guardian reports that uh, the West encourages killing of civilians in Gaza, says the father of the activist shot dead by the IDF. Mm. Uh, What's this story about? Well, Anthony Hundle, uh, whose son was shot by the IDF in 2003, has called on governments to challenge Israel's uh, claims about deaths of women and children. Western governments are actively encouraging the killing of women and children in Gaza because they are not willing to challenge Israeli accounts of the war there. 
This is what the father of a British peace activist killed by an Israeli defence force uh, sniper has warned. Yes, uh, Anthony Handel's son, Tom Handel, was shot in the head in April 2003 in Rafa while he was helping Palestinian children. He described himself as a long-standing supporter of the State of Israel, but said his work nearly uh, said his work nearly two decades ago exposed a culture of impunity and cover-ups over civilian deaths that he fears is being replicated in attacks on Gaza today. Uh, joining us for this segment of the show is Azar Amdi, a regular contributor of the show, who actively promotes the message of peace and message of Islam. Welcome, Azar. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you. you you've been having a, quite a long sabbatical with us, uh, but uh, it's good to have you back. Jazakallah. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, are there your initial thoughts of, this is the Western media uh, way of putting things, uh, your initial thoughts of what happened on the 7th of October attacks and then well, the Israeli response to that? Yes, the 7th of October uh, attacks by Hamas on civilians in um, in Israel was horrendous and has been rightly condemned, including condemned by the head of the Ahmadiyya movement in Islam, um, the Caliph of Islam. Uh, so no, no one has supported this. Mm -hmm. And it is strictly forbidden in Islam to attack civilians. You can attack combatants, yes. you can attack uh, uh, the army or the navy or whoever is trying to attack you. Mm -hmm. uh, but unfortunately, Hamas do not follow Islamic principles, so they have been attacked. Um, some commentators have uh, commented that history did not begin on the 7th of October. There has been illegal occupation mm. uh, by Israel of Palestinian territories since 1967. Um, uh, uh, we might be aware that P the PLO have accepted the State of Israel since 1993. They are allowed uh, their existence um, since um, on the 1948 borders. Mm -hmm. But uh, so I'm afraid there's a bit of history to be covered and uh, to pick on 7th of October in the view of some commentators is not fair. But we condemn roundly the attack by Hamas because it was on civilians, which is strictly forbidden. And uh, the uh, you asked me about the response by Israel. I'm afraid it has been disproportionate and has not been humane. Uh, international law requires that if there has to be some response, it should be humane and proportionate. Uh, I'm afraid the world has seen the horrendous humanitarian crisis which is unfolding in Gaza. And uh, there is no doubt in my mind or the mind of most uh, um, um, commentators that civilians have been targeted uh, hospitals have been uh, destroyed, schools, apartment buildings, mm. and to displace one uh, over a million people from northern Gaza, this is a humanitarian crisis which uh, we have seen unfolded on our television screens and on social media. So this has been uh, 
uh, calamitous. Mm. This is um, horrific. I, I, I would uh, assume acts of violence. Uh, you say acts of violence. Uh, it is often stated that if you don't support Israel's actions, then you are supporting Hamas. What do you say to that? This is what no, the well, this is what the narrative on the Western media seems to be. Anyone who, def- who criticizes Israel for the actions and the killings of the innocent, they are saying that you are because they're blaming everything on Hamas, and uh, therefore you are supporting Hamas if you defend if you do not defend Israel's right to defend. No, I don't think this is correct. I don't think this is any basis on fairness or truth or justice, because Israel. At the you know is a political uh, unit is a politi- is a, a political unit mm-hmm. a political entity it is a country it is not Judaism so to attack a religion in uh, in our books is not correct I mean you may disagree but uh, with the tenets of a certain religion Judaism Christianity Islam uh, that is quite different. Uh, to attacking uh, Israel's policies Mm -hmm. uh, towards the illegal occupation. I mean, the thing is this, that there are United Nations regulations against Israel, and they have called for Israel to withdraw to its 1948 borders, Mm -hmm. and Israel has not. And this has caused a great amount of grief and suffering for the Palestinians. I mean, I'm afraid... The Israelis, and I speak of Israelis, not as Jews. I mean, Jews, as you know, are our brothers. Uh, We are Muslims and Jews are our brothers. Uh, We have great respect for all religions. Um, And uh, Jews are our brothers, but I'm I'm talking about the Israeli government's actions, Mm. which in fact a lot of uh, Orthodox Jews are also uh, uh, criticizing and also like, you know, uh, uh, what I can say, reasonable-minded Israeli citizens, mm. they have also criticized the actions of the government. And I'm sure a lot of them are horrified at the attack on civ- civilians as the rest of the world has mm. been horrified and uh, disturbed. Sure. Uh, we'll great. come to that, uh, about the reaction from others and outside of Israel and Palestine sure. as well, and, and and you mention about many Israelis or uh, have also been condemning. Many Jews have been condemning what what's been happening. I I was on the march uh, in London uh, as have some of my mm-hmm. children been, and one of the th- prominent things that we witnessed while we were there was this, uh, the the Jewish uh, community uh, joining the marches and supporting uh, what uh, the f- uh, Freedom for Palestine uh, sh- chants about free, free Palestine, and they were very much against what Israel was doing. So you're right in Indeed. saying that this is not a Jewish-Muslim uh, scenario, but, but more it's a political scenario, and many Jews are against the behavior of uh, the, the state of Israel, which is a Zionist movement as such. What about... Um, I mean, Israel, Israel always says that Hamas is to blame. Uh, they use them, they use the people as human shields and all that. Uh, are they justified for the killings of children and women then? In, no, I'm in this number? And, and, and supported by uh, America and Britain, really, to go ahead. They, they said to them right from the word go, 
do whatever you want to do. Yes, uh, I think, uh, first of all, let me just say that the killing of civilians is contrary to international law and amounts to a war crime. Mm. And uh, an attack on civilians at this scale, there have been 20,000 killed approximately, Mm. uh, because it's always difficult to pin down a number. And more more than 7,000 women and children have been killed. Mm. Uh, um, Some figures are saying over 6,000 just children, if you attach women to them as Mm. well. So it's... um, it's, a, it's an absolutely horrific humanitarian crisis. So I think it is totally unjustified. I mean, if Israel wants to attack Hamas, they can, but it has to be only against combatants. And the second part of your question was about the reaction of the Western governments. And they did not, I think, many of them were saying that Israel has a right to self-defense. Uh, so I don't know how they can justify these words or these statements when they are attacking civilians. Mm. I mean, if you uh, are, uh, if you take on Hamas itself, uh, that is fine, but not civilians, not, uh, they should be, and what is this attitude? How can this be defended when you're, when you're flattening Mm. hospitals, schools, apartment buildings. Yeah. I mean, this is just... Uh, genocidal. Most hor- I beg your pardon? It's just genocidal, isn't it? Well, absolutely. I mean, there's no other word for it. Mm. And you have moved uh, one over a million people from northern Gaza. Mm. And uh, so I'm afraid... Uh, nothing is justified and the reaction of the Western governments has been abysmal um, and I, I do not know why they did not ask Israel to restrain and they know exactly the history of Israeli actions mm. uh, in that part of the world against civilians so I'm afraid that uh, Israel uh, is guilty of war crimes and uh, yeah, so are the okay. Western governments. Uh, uh, yeah. We we'll need us to yeah. come in with a question. I, I mean, um, the um, Israeli position is that uh, their mission is to destroy Hamas, and the uh, problem that they have is that Hamas uh, hides or is uh, very interlinked, uh, for lack of a better phrase, uh, with the population there. So this is just collateral damage. They just can't help it. But they are actually just targeting um, Hamas operatives in uh, in the in what they're doing. Is that a justified argument? I don't think it's justified at all because if Hamas, well, they, I heard a figure on Al Jazeera yesterday that uh, over 400 Hamas operatives have been killed. Well, if that is the figure, then how can you justify um, killing, massacring uh, over 20,000 civilians or approximately 20,000 mm. civilians? Of which 70% mm. they say are women and children. children yeah. Absolutely. So this is, you know, this is a humanitarian crisis. I would urge, and I'm sure you will join me, in asking the Western governments to ask Israel 
to restrain itself, to limit itself to combatants. There's no harm in attacking combatants. But then if there's collateral damage at this scale, mm. uh, then I'm afraid the world will condemn and uh, action has to be taken. You know, people have to be held to account if there is a system of justice in the world. But I'm afraid uh, things as they stand, there's no system of justice in the world. Mm. Uh, Can I just ask, I mean, um, do you think that Israel is, first of all, justified in going after Hamas? And if that is the case, how should they do it other than uh, bombing the entire the entire area? Oh, I think if you bomb the entire area, then that is genocide, as uh, often uh, mm. alluded. And you cannot attack civilians. I mean, you know, we have learned of the, you know, there are rules of how you conduct war. And I'm not talking about Islamic principles, which were laid out by the Holy Prophet and practiced by him. But that is a very high standard. But if you think about the international uh, law, how you have to, the Geneva Convention and other conventions, how you have to conduct yourself in law, they are there to protect civilians. You cannot attack hospitals, you cannot attack schools. Uh, and I'm afraid, you know, if somebody says, well, they are embedded in the hospitals, they have, there is no proof uh, schools and hospitals and apartment buildings where civilians, everyone knows, everyone has seen civilians moving, over a million of them. And even when they are moving, you know, you know civilians have been attacked on the roads. Yeah. I mean, how is that attacking? Well, that? in West Bank, they've been, been attacked as well. And uh, I think mm. over a thousand have been killed just in the West Bank. And there's no Hamas there. The question that arises, believe. Would be uh, based on your question to us, mm. is that if Hamas had decided to embed themselves in the in 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 uh, Tel Aviv, the uh, in, in the Israeli population, mm. would Israel carry on the bombings that it, it has in in Gaza? And if the answer is no, mm. then they are very hypocritical, mm. and what they're saying does is not justified. Mm. Well, the answer may be, may be yes, because they're already bombing areas where they know that hostages, hostages are. are and some uh, of them they, have been killed. They're, they're not worried about them. They but don't the, appear to be. Yeah, but but the, the, the large numbers that we're talking about is the question. Let's mm. move on with the discussion, Azhar. Um, let's hear a little clip uh, the, from the news piece that we read about the son of Anthony Handel, uh, who is uh, sure. doubting what Israel saying. This is what he said. Well, he was out there as a young photojournalist and was uh, covering the ISM, which is a protest movement. And he was rescuing some children or trying to help rescue children from sniper fire from an Israeli watchtower. And he was shot by one of their soldiers. And uh, that led to quite a long investigation to find out what was, what was happening. And I think one of the lessons that we learned from that was that you can't place any reliance on, on Israeli accounts of events. And I think that's why I feel it's particularly relevant today when we're hearing the Israelis explain their actions in Gaza. So I think that, that was our concern that this was happening again, because it does seem that that's the idea of approach uh, to routinely misrepresent 
what are ordinary civilian targets as in some way tainted with a military aspect and therefore justify their attacking them. And yet you, um, you still um, have support for Israel, don't I do, I do indeed. I, I've always supported Israel, um, and I still do. But I, I do find it very difficult when you see how the Palestinians are treated and the inhumane and unethical policies that are adopted and seem to be getting worse, and certainly in the present war in Gaza, um, it, it, they seem to have gone completely out of control. Um, you know, we, we're talking about 14,000 civilians having been killed in the space of, what, six weeks. And that's more than the Russians have killed in the Ukraine and the whole of the Ukrainian conflict. And yet Hamas, their barbarity on the 7th of October is what triggered the situation. We have seen that we don't know how many uh, exactly hostages are being held, but they're being held in tunnels underneath Gaza and being used as a currency in order to try to keep a ceasefire in place. What would you, what's your view on that? Well, I understand that. I mean, to kill 1,200 people is barbarous. But what you must remember is that that barbarity was incited by the ongoing barbarity of the Israeli policies towards Palestine. That was uh, Anthony Handel's talking about his son's death from Handel back in 2003 in Rafa. Uh, and uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, what he said at the end uh, very much echoes what uh, the UN General Secretary Antonio Guterres said at the UN when he said that the attacks on Hamas did not happen in a vacuum, which he, he also said is not condoning what Hamas has done. Um, so... Uh, he very much, I mean, the, the, the newscaster, the, the, the questioner was trying to bring in the 7th of October to, you know, to balance as if, if you know, that is what's causing it all. But he very rightly says that that war did not start on the 7th of uh, October, which is what Azza said earlier. So Azza, what do you make of what uh, uh, Anthony Handel is saying? He's saying you can't trust the Israelis, basically, with their uh, narratives. Well, uh, to be frank with you, Anthony, you know, I think he spoke uh, very eloquently and uh, calmly. Uh, with a, with a calmly and with a great bit of heart. Mm. But what he's saying is 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 uh, is, uh, is supported by NGOs like Amnesty International, <clears throat> Human Rights Watch, Médecins Sans Frontières, that there is no evidence of Hamas embedding itself i mean the attack has been on civilians so you know we have, everyone knows there are protests in all the major cities of the world everyone is horrified by the um, attacks of israel by the actions of the israeli government um, we're not blaming, you know, the Judaic faith. Mm. The Judaic faith is wonderful, and we love it, and it has served humanity to a very great extent. Uh, and we support Judaism in its religious values. But mm. we are talking about the Israeli government, which is unfortunately uh, acting contrary to the teachings of the Torah yeah. and to its best traditions, and why the Western governments are supporting Israel in this is anybody's guess why they should uh, condemn uh, Russia mm. quite correctly for its barbarous attacks on Ukraine civilian uh, targets. And the same thing has happened to a very uh, larger extent 
in uh, Gaza, people are suffering. Children have been dying, you know. People have uh, been displaced. Y- one, you know, people, you said nearly one and a half million. Over a million people. And, you know, newly born babies are dying in the hospitals of Gaza. Mm. If you watch Al Jazeera, uh, I mean, the situation is beyond horrendous. Mm. I mean, how people... And, you know, I would attack the British government and the British politicians as well who voted against a ceasefire. Now, how in their conscience they voted against a ceasefire, uh, how you cannot have a... Dipl- and Israel must realize, you know, in the long term that there can only be a solution, a diplomatic solution. Hmm. Uh, now, His Holiness has pointed the way to the future uh, for example, he has spoken in many, I've heard many peace conference speeches and also to uh, parliaments about the stop in the trade in international arms. This is the one of the roots of the problem, that America and Britain have been, you know, some of the countries have been supplying arms to Israel and it is American and British bombs which are being used mm. Uh, in, so America and Britain have to realize the United Nations has to take a step to stop the international trade in arms. And why can you not have a ceasefire? Why um, the Security Council cannot vote for us? Even the British Parliament cannot vote for a ceasefire. I mean, this is... Uh, I mean, there's no value for human life, it, 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 and and the, the term it as collateral damage, you know, killed in the in the way of war, which is one of the most horrific words for me, as far as I'm concerned, can be used for human life. Uh, but, but Israel says that if you have a ceasefire, then Hamas will regroup, and they have already said that they will uh, in, engage or <coughs> advance a similar atrocity as they did on the 7th of October. So that's why you can't have a ceasefire. That's the argument that they give. Well, uh, uh, my I do not uh, put much value to this argument because the thing is this, Israel has one of the most sophisticated uh, military um, uh, apparatuses or merit, uh, military mm. in the world. Uh, you know, it can go for um, uh, targeting uh, Hamas if it wants to. But this is not been. I mean, who says that when you flatten hospitals, you flatten schools, you flatten United Nations buildings, and mm. you know so many United Nations officials have been killed? I mean, this is just indiscriminate, wanton bombing. And you know, I think there should be a stop to uh, bombs as well. You know, I mean, you know, what is this aerial bombardment on civilian populations which we have seen not only here? but in Ukraine, so we condemn Russia as well. And we have seen in Iraq, in Afghanistan, there should be, you know, a a proper assessment of all the arms which these countries are using to flatten civilian uh, buildings, hospitals, schools, uh, post offices were attacked. And I mean, it is just beyond description, isn't it? Indeed. Uh, I thought there's so much more to discuss, but uh, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts and views and a very humanitarian thought and view because this is what this war needs and maybe this is something that is lacking um, in this this whole war. war, war. 
with the politicians, that is, not with, with mankind as such. Uh, they certainly are supporting. Uh, thank you, Azza, for joining us. Jazakallah. Thank you very much for having me. Okay. Assalamu alaikum wa Peace and blessings to you all. Right, Waleed, faith in focus. Uh, we, we missed it last week, uh, but yeah. we had a lot on the agenda. But we are glad to have you back presenting that. Thank uh, you. We've been reviewing the life of the promised Messiah, uh, peace be upon him, in early episodes, that's Hazrat Mizar Ghulam Ahmed, the founder of the Amdi Muslim community. He will continue, we will continue to do so and examine some of his many qualities and the impact he has made on the world of Islam. So first of all, Walid, we find today that the fame of the promised Messiah spread far and wide, but he lived in a very secluded village and remained there throughout his life, didn't he? Yes, that's quite right. Um, he may have ventured to other places like Skalkot or Lahore for his debates and lectures, but his uh, home remained in Kadian. And you're right, it was a very secluded part of the world, not easily accessible. Uh, we have the account of uh, one of his companions, Abdul Rahman, by Abdul Rahman, who was to become a very close companion. Uh, he described the ordeal of reaching Qadian from his own experience when he first w- wished to visit Qadian. Mm. This is around 1895, and I quote from what he, what he re- uh, relates. He says, The first difficulty one faced was due to the relative anonymity of the small village of Qadian, and having located it, its whereabouts, the second great difficulty was the matter of actually getting there. The absence of any proper channel of transport was such that even finding a mode of transport was a difficult feat. When some transport did become available, it consisted either of a cart pulled by bullocks or uh, similar, or a horse-driven carriage from which a more appropriate name would have been the wheels of torture. Mm. Uh, riding on it made one's ribs <laughs> ache, gave one's stomach pains, and the whole body felt as if it had been pounded. It was not uncommon to see the horse and carriage turned upside down on the beaten track along with its passengers. However, having achieved the first goal of finding a carriage, the second difficulty was the disappearance of the driver who would take off in search of other passengers before he was ready to take one to Kadian. The state of the paths was such that no matter how healthy and strong an animal was before it was set to the task of putting a carriage along this route, it soon became weak and feeble. The sight of these animals sometimes was so pathetic that some passengers took pity on them and preferred to walk. The rainy seasons made the trials of the journey even more horrendous. So that's just a description of how f- difficult it was to get to Kadian. Okay. A, far, a far cry from the luxury cars that you drive in, eh? No, not as, uh, not as luxurious as the vehicle that you uh, have been blessed with. But, uh, still, yes, it's a far not, cry yeah, from A far that. cry from <laughs> in the luxurious car we all drive in, yes. you know, compared to what was yes. available at the time. It's a very harsh time, very difficult times. Yeah. But people probably got used to it, but, but nevertheless, Mm. The journeys were arduous mm. and not easy. But, you know, judging from what he's saying, yeah. it was even difficult in those times for people to uh, to to go through this, mm. you know? So the long-distance journeys were, as you just described, mm. very difficult. What about within your own town? I mean, traveling well, from uh, taking my kids to school from my home mm. to the town is not that bad. No. Know? So was it the same there? The well, inside journeys okay? 
Well, yeah. Um, the 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 point um, that was being made here was that the the, the um, village of Kardian was in the first place very accessible, mm. very inaccessible. Inaccessible. And even when he got there, yeah. it was a very uh, uh, basic, yeah. you know, village of basic facilities. Mm. Uh, and again, um, this uh, companion by Abdul Rahman says that wherever you looked. They were old ruins, so nothing, nothing much in terms of modern, modernism. The town was almost deserted, with an air of sadness all around, as if it was in a state of mourning. Uh, there were two shopping centres, or two bazaars, but in in name only, with just a handful of shops, uh, selling just a few commodities of, um, and they were of poor quality. And most of the provisions had to be obtained from the nearest towns of Batala and Amritsar. And this was the Kardian to which God, I mean, this is what is being uh, mm. being emphasized. This was the Kardian to which God had promised that men for whom he had prepared through revelation would come in large numbers from near and far. And they did. Mm. You and I have just recently been to Umrah. Mm. And we've, apart from Makkah and Medina, the main cities, which are very, very developed. But when you approach these cities, yeah. the terrain is very harsh. Yes. Uh, and when I stood, for example, at uh, uh, the Khandak area, with, uh, the, 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 uh, oh, I forgot to the mountain range. Uhud. Uhud. Yeah. Uh, and you look at that terrain and, and th- thought that that's where the Holy Prophet fought hmm. his battles. Yeah. It puts into perspective how tough those times were. Hmm. So you've described something equally as tough hmm. in, 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 the, in the times of, the, yeah. of that time. And I was and taken back. I was taken back by the mountain where he used to go up and pray. Oh, I'll be, yeah. <laughs> couldn't, yeah, but, couldn't. You couldn't quite make it like me. <laughs> Not at all. No. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean must, yeah. so, but that just shows you that in, in such difficult circumstances yeah. and in Kardian was no different no. Uh, a small village totally isolated mm. and a man rises up there as mm. you were mentioning claims mm. that he's the Messiah mm. what does he say what sort of uh, how did he, did he become popular did mm. people you know if mm. you have a Messiah or someone who's claiming to be from mm. God mm. surely people want to go and see him people mm. did people go and see him yes so despite these difficulties mm. and despite the condition of Kardian, people did come to see him because his fame really rose uh, on the basis of the book Brahiniamdi uh, that he wrote and that uh, was so impressive that people wanted to come and uh, meet him and it's recorded i mean uh, that among the first of these visitors was Pir Sirajuddin Haq uh, Nomani, hmm. who was himself well-known spiritual leader with a large following. Now, he paid a visit to the Promised Messiah, and it is around in 1882, having read his book, this book, Brahini Amadiyya. And as soon as uh, Peer uh, Sahib met the Promised Messiah, uh, he was filled with joy and uh, immediately realized that he had found in him, in the Promised Messiah, the, the true guide and savior of Islam. After this, he paid numerous visits to Kardian and finally, finally settled there so that he could be close to his blessed master. His visit to Kardian was soon followed by others who also came having read uh, Brahini Ahmadiyya. Uh, another seeker was Munshi Abdullah, 
Uh, he came from Sanur in Patiala. Then there was Chaudhir Rustam Ali Khan. Uh, he came from Jalandar, uh, Sayyid uh, Nasser uh, Shah Sab or Nasir Shah Sab of Lahore, and there were others. And in 1886, three uh, individuals from Karputala, uh, Kaprutala, uh, visited Hazrat Mizah Ghulam Ahmed, all having read his scholarly work. And one of them was Munshi Zafar Ahmed. He was a registrar at the High Court of uh, Kapurthala. And it is said that when he got hold of uh, this book uh, that was written by the Prophet Ibrahim Amdiya, he was so impressed with it that he read it out aloud to his friends and soon became a fervent admirer of the Prophet. This was even before he had met him. And together with two of his friends, Munshi Aruri Khan and uh, Munshi Muhammad Khan, they made their way to meet uh, the Promised Messiah. Upon their meeting, these three became so impressed with him that they requested to be initiated at his hand. But he politely refused. The Promised Messiah said uh, uh, no because he had not been commanded by God to do so. That came later. So this was happening in 1886. And of course, we should not forget uh, the great uh, Maulvi Nuruddin of Behra, a royal physician to the Maharaja of Kashmir, one of the most eminent scholars of India. He came to Qadiyan in 1885 to see uh, the Promised Messiah and having read, uh, and this is after having read his book, he immediately recognized uh, the Promised Messiah as the Promised Reformer of the Age and became a fervent admirer and an earnest supporter. Uh, and uh, at their first meeting, um, it is said that when it was nearing the end, the Promised Messiah remarked, I hope he will come back soon. And as the Malwidhu replied that he would, and the rest, as it mm. says, is history. I presume <clears throat> in that era, at that time, not the time of today, where we just look at screens and TVs mm. to get all the information, and I think the book reading has, has declined a lot. That, era, that was an era no TV. Um, no public uh, information available. Mm. So people, when they read books, they would also read to others because there were many who were illiterate. Yes. Uh, illiteracy yes. was very high in those days. Mm. So this is where that story of... Uh, uh, yes, one of these companions. Companions yeah. Yeah. Uh, reading to others as well. Yeah. And I would have thought people like Malvi Nuruddin, who were in very high places after having read this book, would be telling people about it mm, as well, mm. because that's how you would communicate. Mm. Would, would, did, that, did that lead to people wanting to visit the Promised Messiah? And was it just the book alone, or was there some other aspects of the Promised Messiah that attracted people? Mm. Yes, uh, um, the, 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 you're quite right. There has to be other factors involved. Yeah, if, it can't be uh, a book alone, can Yes. It? The book is certainly impressive in conveying the fact that there is somebody of intelligence uh, uh, and somebody impressive enough um, that requires uh, um, that demands uh, an audience, audience that demands yeah, yeah. Uh, a there was, there was nothing like <coughs> that book available at the time from no. the scholars the scholars weren't really motivating people mm. and this book they certainly did that and the, the fact is that in what one of the even now those people who are opposed to the community mm. they still praise the promise the promised messiah because they say that he was one of the few people maybe the only person in india at the time who took the trouble of reading other religious books as well, other religious scriptures. And he was knowledgeable enough to defend the um, attacks that were made by Islam be on the basis of other scriptures. Mm. 
So this was one of the qualities. But that is not that is just the intellectual side of it. It's impressive enough. But what you're alluding to is that there is certain another aspect that you find when you meet a person as to what that person is really about. And if there is, uh, and there was certainly uh, a holiness, if that is, for lack of a better mm. word, about him, yeah, an aura, an aura, uh, yeah. the spirituality that you can observe from those who genuinely have a deep connection with God. So we see that, you know, we we see that in our caliphs mm. as well, mm. right? Uh, but with the promised Messiah, his magnetism was best ex- expressed with this account. There's an account of one of his companions that was noted by a non-Muslim writer. So the companion concerned was Munshi Rurihan uh, of uh, Kapurthal. And the um, the writer was H. A. Waiter, uh, who was secretary of the Young Men's Christian Association. So this was years after the demise of the Promised Messiah, uh, when Mr. Waiter asked the questions, "How long were you in contact with Mizasab?" So he asked Munshir, how, how long were you in contact with Mirza Saab? What proof of his truth appealed to you most? And what feature of his character impressed you more than others? Mm. And Munshi Saab replied very simply, he's a simple man. Um, I knew Mirza Saab even before he claimed to be the Messiah. I have never seen such a holy and luminous countenance. For me, his luminous appearance and magnetic personality constituted the greatest proof of his truth. We are all we were always eager to see his radiant face. And the recalling then recalling these days or should I say then recalling those days, Munshi Saab began to sob overwhelmed with emotion. And Mr. Waiter, the writer, uh, was so impressed by the simple incident that he made a mention of it in his book and remarked, We may call Mirza Saab deluded but we can never call one who has created such a deep impression upon his disciples an imposter. Mm. So it was, you know, yeah. just, his, just uh, yeah. his face was yeah. enough. You, you, you said uh, that uh, we see that in our Khalifas. Mm. I remember bringing an ex-mayor mm. to, to the Peace Symposium many years ago, and she met Azul for the first time. And the first thing she said to me after having a brief uh, mulakat with him or uh, chat with him, and she said, Ooh, he's got an aura of spirituality and holiness about uh-huh. him, doesn't he? He's so attractive. Mm. Uh, so yeah. you're absolutely right. And that and certainly was in abundance yeah. with the yeah. Promised Messiah. And not everyone can see it. This is the other thing. Ah, you yes. see, if you're sincere, yes. uh, then you can see it. If you're not, then, you know, we have that example, don't we, of uh, Abu Jahl. Uh, Abu Jahl, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Holy Prophet, he never yeah. saw that he never saw spirituality yeah. while others were being attracted yeah. to it. Absolutely right. What about uh, the attachment of the companions, the, the, which was yeah. evident mm. from what we read of the stories of the companions, that how much the Holy, the Promised Messiah uh, w- was such a humble mm. individual, mm. Uh, his humility, his mm. kindness mm. Uh, for the unprivileged, yes. particularly. Mm. Any examples you can narrate? Well, yes, uh, Munshi Zafar Musab uh, says that once the Promised Messiah uh, was sitting on the roof of uh, the Mubarak Mosque awaiting the arrival of some guests. So this is a story that uh, shows that he was a very um, um, discerning. He, you know, he was looking out for uh, those people who are perhaps would be otherwise neglected. So he was sitting on the roof uh, of the uh, Mubarak Mosque awaiting the arrival of some guests with uh, whom he was to have a meal. And one very poor Ahmadi, 
Mia Nizamuddin uh, of Ludhiana, wearing simple ragged clothes, was also sitting there at a short distance. In the meantime, some well-to-do, respected guests arrived, and some uh, sat near the promised Messiah and pushed him further back. Uh, to make room for each, them, each of them, uh, Mia Nizamuddin uh, had was compelled to move further mm. uh, away and he did so until he reached the place where the shoes were kept so he was sitting uh, among the shoes and when the meal was brought the promised Messiah having noticed this uh, took a plate of food and addressing him said come me and Azamuddin you and I will eat together meaning his chamber was next to the uh, to the mosque and and, uh, and that uh, Mia uh, Nizamuddin um, was supposed to accompany him, and Nizamuddin was extremely happy and consoled by by this particular act of uh, the promised Messiah. Another incident also showed the humility of the promised Messiah, and is related by Mulvi Abdul Karim. And he says, and this is a quote from him. Um, he's written a book, or he wrote a book about the promised Messiah, his life with the promised Messiah, and short anecdotes uh, that he collected. He said a few years ago in Lidiana, I went to sleep on a couch in one of the newly built rooms in the house of uh, the promised Messiah. As I fell asleep, he was pacing up and down in the room, but when I woke, I saw him lying on the floor near my couch. Seeing this, I hurriedly sat up. Thereupon, he kindly asked me why I had uh, suddenly, uh, uh, why have I suddenly sitting up? Is that the right phrase? No. <laughs> <laughs> why have I? Uh, why have I suddenly sat up? Got up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you for that correction. Yes, my English is not so good. <laughs> and, I'm still trying to look for the right word, but <laughs> and uh, but I understand what you Why has he suddenly done this? All right. Yeah. And um, um, uh, Mori Abdul Krim says, that, how can I go and sleep on a couch when you, your holiness, is lying on the floor? You take on the floor and I'm on a couch. And he, he smiled. He said, I, I was just keeping watch over you. The children were making a noise and I was trying to prevent them lest they should disturb you in, in your sleep. So it was not just intellect, spirituality of the promise that they endeared him to his companions. It was his humility, you know, mm. his ordinariness, his fear, his thinking that he's nothing... Um, he doesn't. Des- he's, he, there's nothing that he deserved. That um, no one should think that he's elite in any in, in any sense, mm. other than what God has uh, the um, the honor that God has bestowed him. So the whole package with so many qualities yeah. Yeah. is what makes him special. And these little snippets just give you the whole picture, don't they? Mm. What about? I mean, obviously, you know, if you're a companion and, and you're in awe of someone, you know, you've got to be kind to them, mm. right? What about those who didn't accept him or didn't, although came across him, how was his treatment to them? What about people of other faiths, for example? Yes, um, we, he was, again, um, kind to them, uh, irrespective of uh, whether they accepted him or not. And uh, this example of Lala Sharampat, uh, he was a frequent visitor but could, would not join the community. Yet when he fell ill and seriously ill due to an infection in his uh, in his stomach abdomen, uh, he he believed he was going to die. He approached the promised Messiah for help, and the promised Messiah did not hold back. Mm. He was a Hindu; uh, he did not accept him. But uh, that did not mean that when he was uh, in trouble, that the promised Messiah would not uh, help him. He did. In fact, as soon as he found out about Shampat's illness, he made a point of visiting his home even when it was uh, located in a dark and narrow alley. 
and then he appointed his own personal doctor, uh, Muhammad Abdullah, to treat uh, Lala Sharampat. And he apparently was the only doctor in Qadian at the time. And the Promised Messiah, more than that, visited him daily. During his illness, Salala Sharampat would request the Promised Messiah to pray for him, and the Promised Messiah comforted him and attended to him uh, till he had fully recovered. So this is the character of a man so great that his heart overflowed with genuine goodwill for even the even his his enemies or even those who did not accept him. And here it has to be emphasized that the Promised Messiah had a genuine love for all humanity irrespective of their, their faith. Uh, he said in one particular writing, he said, I would like to say explicitly to all Muslims, Christians and Hindus, that I do not consider anybody my enemy in this world. I love mankind for more than a caring mother loves her children. I am only the enemy of those false beliefs which belie the truth. Compassion for human beings is my obligation. Repudiation, repudiation of falsehood, idolatry, oppression, and every kind of uh, misdeed, injustice, and immorality is my creed. And he repeatedly expressed his love and sympathy for all uh, humanity as part of his faith and purpose of his advent. Even those uh, who devoted their lives to pr uh, prosecute him um, uh, shared his grace. I mean, the promised Messiah said, I'm thankful that I have prayed for every single one of my enemies at least two or three times. So no one was uh, left out of the um, the kindness and the mercy that uh, he was trying to bestow uh, on humanity. That really brings us to the end of that mm. session. Unfortunately, I was going to ask you, what about people of other faith? Were they attracted to his teachings? Mm. Well, in view of um, his his statement, I mean, this reflected his uh, attitude to others. Mm. Um, then, yes, of course, people, Hindus accepted him, Sikhs accepted him, uh, Christians accepted him. And this at a time when it was very difficult to change your faith. Mm. But still, when uh, people became very impressed, then they, they, were, they, they had no choice but to change their uh, their faith and accept the promised Messiah and accept the teachings of Islam. And some of them were quite prominent in their positions of those faiths, and yet they accepted him. Absolutely, yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right, we're coming to the 11 o'clock news, and then we'll come back with the show. You're listening to the Voice of Islam radio, broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن You're 
listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings to all our listeners. This is uh, Asan Amdi on the Weekend World Show. With me is uh, Walid Ahmed and a young Imam, Daniel Kanun, joining us for this segment of the show as well, who will be contributing uh, throughout the show as well. Uh, Walid, um, <coughs> the CNN says not in our name Jewish peace activists across the US call for immediate ceasefire and justice for Palestinians we were discussing that with us that there seems to be some Jewish voices or quite a lot of Jewish mm. voices mm. not happy with what's happening mm. the way Israel is responding what what else does the CNN say well it says that as Rabbi Lisa Wise scrolls through social media her feed is littered with videos of dead Palestinian children, parents holding their lifeless bodies with screams caught in their throats and eyes sunken with grief. And she says, uh, and she quotes, it's wretched. I wake up every single morning with tears in my eyes, rage in my heart, and I channel it into action. Wise, a rabbinical council member of the Jewish Voice for Peace, told CNN, my coping mechanism, sorry, is to yell into the void, yell into the halls of Congress. Um, so very clearly she's concerned about what's happening and uh, human life certainly touches people's heart, mm. particularly when you see children. However, uh, the Guardian is reporting, uh, and they reported this in November, that specialist organizations such as Community Security Trust, CST, and Tell Mama say they are seeing a big increase in reports of anti-Semitism and Islamophobia involving schools and pupils in 7th October attacks in Israel, invasion of Gaza. This is in the UK. Mm -hmm. What else do they say? Well, a spokesman for Redbridge Council said, we have spoken to the school where the graffiti was discovered and share their shock and distress at its Islam Islamophobic and racist content and pupils at uh, Channing School, a private girls' school in North London, reported anti-Semitic graffiti in their toilets, including a swastika and the words, kill Jews. Yes, uh, this is, I'm afraid, the overspill and an ugly sight to society, I would say, that if there's a crisis going on somewhere, you don't become personal with others, and that doesn't breed hatred for anyone just because they are of a different faith or a different colour. Uh, so anti-Semitism and Islamophobia, Daniel, you're an imam, uh, something that uh, the Muslim community in particular speaks very strongly against. Yes, absolutely. Anti-Semitism is not supported um, by the Quran or by Islam whatsoever. And obviously, um, you know, we, we do um, believe and hope that it's it goes both ways as well that Islamophobia is not supported by other people and religions yeah. but unfortunately it's still out there we've got many examples of the Prophet of the Prophet peace be upon him um, on how he kind of uh, quelled any type of personal yeah. grudges and yeah. um, uh, wrong sentiments towards individuals in warfare but we can come to that later on inshallah indeed um, joining us for this segment believe, uh, yeah. will be Rabbi uh, sorry, I'm just going to get my paperwork ready. Um, we're going to have Reb Rabbi Yeshkel Mendelbaum uh, from the Kingston Synagogue, uh, but we're just having some issues with his line. But also joining us is Sheikh Rahman. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. 
Can you hear me, Shakramanton? Oh, we've got uh, connection problems there as well. Uh, let me give you a brief introduction. Uh, first of all, Rabbi Yeshkel. He grew up in a mountains farmer's family in the Swiss Alps. Very nice. Uh, after discovering his Jewish roots during his theology studies at the University of Basel, he studied at various institutions, which eventually led him to become a rabbi. He is now a rabbi at the uh, Kingston Synagogue and serves the community there. And also with us will be Sheikh Rahman to share his discussion. Sheikh Rahman is a peace activist and has addressed many events promoting interfaith dialogue. Gentlemen, can you hear me? Assalamu alaikum and shalom. You alaikum salam, Asan, loud and clear. Excellent. I think we're still struggling to contact uh, Rabbi Shalom, uh, 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 the rabbi. So excuse me while we connect with him. Uh, as soon as he's connected, I'm sure he'll be on air with us. But first of all, because this is a question I was going to ask the rabbi, Sheikh Ramad, can you tell us first of all, when 7th of October happened, you yeah. as a Muslim, mm -hmm. what were your initial thoughts of the killings, of the kidnapping of civilians? Uh, well, any, um, any killing which is done without purpose, mm. Um, and especially um, with, with unarmed um, people yep. who, who meant no harm, um, I think is, is actually to be condemned. Mm. Um, and not only is to be condemned, but also, unfortunately, is not justified. Um, because these, these are people who, who were, uh, who actually were gathered for a separate purpose, a different purpose. And I think we've seen this happen not only on the 7th of October, but we've seen it happen, if you remember the Manchester bombing, mm. um, the arena there, and um, and of course, the uh, going back a bit to the German Olympic Games, and so on and so forth. But yeah. that did not cause any wars or, or killing of innocent civilians as a result of that action. Mm. So, you yeah. know, whereas one wrong does not justify another wrong. Indeed, and we'll come to some of those aspects in the during the discussion. I sure. think we have uh, our rabbi, uh, Rabbi Yeshkel. Uh, shalom, rabbi. Yeah, shalom, salam alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. Thank you very much for joining us. Sorry, we uh, we got delayed connecting you. We seem to have had some connection issues. Sorry about that. Uh, I was, now you can hear. Yes, oh. we can hear you very clearly. Thank okay. you very much. I was asking Sheikh Rahman. He's a, a guest from. Uh, he's a he's a peace activist from uh, our community, and promotes uh, interfaith dialogue as you do. I know. Yeah. Uh, the question I asked him, and, and I want to first of all offer our heartfelt commiserations to those killed on the 7th of October, our thoughts for those who are still being held hostages and their families, and I hope that uh, peace can be returned to all people there. But uh, what was the impact that 7th of October had for you and say for your congregation? Ah, uh, okay. So, you know, the 7th October was uh, Shabbat, and it was also a Jewish festival of rejoicing. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, obviously I went to the synagogue in the morning, 
and because we don't, you know, we don't use uh, mediums, so we 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 we, Indeed, we, of we course, cut yes. that off during our Shabbat, or mm. uh, at least we're supposed to do. But obviously, so other people don't necessarily do that. I realized that people were uh, quite in a havoc, and they came to tell me. Oh, uh, Rabbi, uh, we need guidance. What do we do? Uh, Israel is under attack, and uh, I couldn't actually understand what what actually was happened. But I said, okay. So the first thing we did is just praying, praying for for uh, you know the situation. This is beyond uh, what we can uh, intervene. Mm. So uh, we just prayed, and uh, okay. So then, quite soon, obviously, as soon as Shabbat was out, I uh, allowed myself to also go to look a little bit uh, what happened, and uh, I, you know, I. I I couldn't believe it, mm, mm. or I obviously it's something I knew that now uh, uh, some fears that they are always dormant because we saw many uh, uh, attacks and so on 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 our people. Israel has seen it. The Jewish people have seen it before. That was not something new, but here something was new because I knew, or 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 I thought at least, uh, that this time it's a trap. Mm. Uh, In what way? It is, it is a trap. Uh, it was a trap because, um, because it was clear to me that. This gonna lead to a war. Mm. It is planned to, to be like this, and I couldn't believe that it, we have so many hopefully intelligent people that could think of another solution than going to make a ground offensive. Mm -hmm. I, I couldn't believe that it is, isn't it possible to think of something else to break that vicious cycle. Mm. That was my reaction. I couldn't believe. Yeah. I know, yeah. as many of us do, we know the story. We know it happens again and again. And every time it becomes worse. Mm -hmm. And the world is in need to break that cycle. In, 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 in that regard, Rabbi, I mean, they're both sides of the story, obviously. Uh, you yeah. have the Jewish narrative, you explain some of that. Uh, they, they're unable to live in peace, uh, but at the same time, there's criticism on Israel. This is nothing to do with Judaism or Islam because this is not the Jewish people or the Muslim people which are at, at war. Yeah, sure, it, it, it is purely a political thing. And then you have the, the, the Palestinian people who have 
lost their homes. They have been put into, many people say, an open prison yeah, in Gaza. I mean, and, and all these sort of things aren't going to stop that cycle, are they? Because what we want is a cycle to stop, as you are intimating, and very rightly so. Uh, yes, uh, yes. So, and, this is, yeah. and this is exactly, you, you know, that's exactly uh, on what this horrendous attack fed upon mm. that instead of it's it's a much more deeper issue than just uh, you know just go on with one's agenda yeah yeah it was clear it is old it is old it perhaps started with the assassination of Shimon Peres which was done by a far-right Israeli, if I'm not mistaken. Exactly. Yeah. And since then, Israeli people tell me, and friends, and good acquaintances, uh, the, uh, the whole um, relationship was poisoned. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when okay. I came to Israel much later, uh, I went to a... I, I wanted a nice restaurant for my family. I went to a, a Palestinian restaurant. Mm. Uh, I thought that's, that's very normal. Why not? And, uh, you know, they couldn't believe that I come there to uh, want to eat with my uh, lunch there yeah, yeah. with my family, mm. with my kippah and my black hat. Uh, I, perhaps I was naive. But I thought this is the normal way how to live with each other. This is what we would do in England. We, I would, I happily go to Jewish oh. restaurants. I, I worked with Jewish uh, uh, bosses, etc. And we got like a house on fire as much as we debated with each other. But we enjoyed those debates, which which enriched us with, with each other of knowledge. Uh, just let me ask Sheikh Rahman here. Sheikh Rahman, the rabbi says that this vicious cycle. Uh, is what we want to end but there's just a lack of trust between the communities um, how, how do you see how we can break this cycle how can we build this trust well oh. the, sorry thank you thank you Asan. thank you rabbi uh, my my observation on this situation is very clear uh, there is a united nations resolution uh, which which states that there should be a two-state uh, solution to this yeah. Uh, to this scenario. Mm. Uh, why can't these people who seem to be extremely well-educated, um, extremely aware of what is going on in the world, why do they resort to violence? And it's on both sides. I'm sorry to say that. Yeah, it's sure. not just one-sided. It's, it's on both sides. Mm -hmm. And frankly, um, sorry, Rabbi, before you came on air, I was telling Asan that two wrongs don't make a right. Yes, uh, I just hear that phrase, and it's uh, it's 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 uh, true. It's true. Yeah, it makes so, it actually not only that it doesn't make it right; it makes it make it worse. <laughs> worse, exactly. Yeah, and and unfortunately, despite the fact that the United Nations Secretary General um, has pleaded with, particularly with Israel. To, yes. to stop this massacre. I mean, it is it is it is massacre of civilians that is happening in Gaza right now, and it's an ongoing situation. It it hasn't 
the 7th of October has not generated this. This has been going on for many, many, many years. And the rabbi was why, intimating to that as well. Yeah. Correct. And why can't we just sit down? I and mean, we're all sensible people. Inst- wars have never, ever resolved any situations, as we've seen with the with the two world wars. And, and yes. after World War II, we've seen Vietnam, we've seen... Uh, you know, the likes Cambodia, we've seen um, Libya, we've seen Iraq, we've seen Iran, and uh-huh. and we've seen Afghanistan. Uh, and now we're seeing it in Syria. Mm. So, uh, mm-hmm. we've, you know, it's it's an ongoing scenario. Indeed, indeed. Where will it lead to in the end? It will only lead to what to we are seeing on our screens. Correct. Yeah. Basically, destruction of the human being by the human being. Yeah. So is that is that justified? I'm sorry, that's not. Yeah, Rabbi, your response to that? Yeah, look, <laughs> I'm a rabbi, uh, <laughs> politician, or uh, strategist, or or uh, it's uh, very difficult to answer that question because it is a, an old pattern, isn't it? And. Uh, um and yeah I, I don't really know what to, to say no. to you what, what because i i was sitting uh, a year ago mm-hmm. i was invited to the united nations to a conference here in oh it was very nice in uh, in uh, windsor castle for faith leaders. And one thing that became clear to us is that we need the faith leaders to be the link between ideas of those experts, politicians, etc., and the people in our community. And they it, it was quite clear that if we don't address those issues mm. in our community, then it will not uh, tickle down into society, into society because society will be led yes. by the media and each narrative according to their agenda. Yeah, And th- this... This this doesn't help. That means that the, the, it was becoming clear to us that we have a task to tell the people to sit together with our community to address yes. things, even if they are very um, uh, un- uncomfortable. Indeed, and, and sometimes it has to be the uncomfortable aspects of life that we have to deal with to make things yes. happen. Uh, Only at the moment, just let me finish that. Only at the moment, it is not the right time. And that sounds terrible because we want to intervene. Yeah, there are people dying every day. Mm. They can't go anywhere. Where should they go? How unfair is it? It is they're trapped, you know? Mm. Indeed. And... And we are, we are, and still we cannot, people are not uh, 
can't be addressed or only very small. I try very small bits to address mm. and to see how it goes. But the, that is again a problem of the trap. Yes. Because of the forceful attack on the 7th October, it paralyzes, I think, the emotions and the conscience the natural conscience of people. Mm. It paralyzes them. They can't mourn, they can't even process what's going on. Yeah. And I don't know, perhaps this is also the reason what paralyzes those, uh, those forces, the Israeli forces, in, uh, in making decisions. Mm. It is a very vicious uh, nice uh, circle indeed. Mm -hmm. Let me let me ask Sheikh Rahman. Sheikh, uh, when seventh of October happened, there was total sympathy and empathy for the Israelis and the Jewish people who were who were killed, who were attacked, and the families who were suffering f as a result of that. Uh, even yeah. even, yeah. even the nation. Uh, as a whole, uh, and not just in yes, Israel. Then but we should have acted. Then yeah. we should have acted. Yeah. But what I was going to ask Sheikh Rahman was that that sympathy and empathy within even the Muslim community who were condemning what Hamas had done, uh, has uh, that empathy uh, reduced now because of what Israel has done and with seeing the thousands of innocent civilians being killed? Sheikh Rahman? I go back to my first comment that I made, Absolutely. two wrongs do not make a right. Mm. Um, and in fact, it's disgraceful uh, the way I, I, I probably accept what the rabbis just said. Uh, it paralyzes your thinking. Yeah. It paralyzes the thinking of the families that are affected. Mm. But when you are a political leadership, uh, because then you make decisions, you take the, you take the worse with the good. And, and you do not take decisions to aggravate situations and make them worse. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, in this instance, that empathy or sympathy that may have been possible to have created a solution to the problem yeah. uh, on both sides, unfortunately, it eroded within a matter of hours while the Israeli government took the action that it did you cannot go in with the force that they went in with and start killing innocent civilians. Children, babies, hospitals wiped out. You know, push them out of your houses. How can you... So, so if the sympathy works for the other side, does it not work for this side too? Indeed. Uh, and a very pertinent uh, question. Indeed. Uh, I mean, Rabbi, many Jewish voices... Uh, ha are also now speaking. I I I went on some of the marches uh, for the Palestine cause, which were to free uh -huh. Palestine. No, this is nothing anti-Semitic. It was nothing against the Jewish state. Yeah, yeah. It was nothing against. It was purely for the support of giving peace to the land. And I was very fortunate that I was able to walk with many Jewish people on those marches. There was uh, the Jewish. Uh, 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 voice for Labour. Uh, there was quite a few, a few hundred of them there, and then there was the tradition, the Orthodox Jewish who, who were against uh, the state of Israel. Yeah, generally. actually, my yeah. friend. Yeah. 
Yeah, those, yeah. those traditional Orthodox. Uh, yeah, yeah. Are your friends? I actually know them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did manage to speak to them, but they they, they refused to ta- let me take a recording because they said it was Sabbath and they're not allowed to speak into yeah, machine. But, yeah, but, they, yeah, exactly. but they spoke to me and they were wonderful people. But let me just uh, sort of air some of the views that uh, yeah. the Jewish people are having over what Israel has done, uh, something that uh, Sheikh Rahman was alluding to. This is uh, Cynthia Nixon, uh, a famous uh, Hollywood actress who's going on a five-day sh- hunger strike. And this is what she said outside Washington. As the mother of Jewish children whose grandparents are Holocaust survivors, I have been asked by my son to use any voice I have to affirm as loudly as possible that never again means never again for everyone. In seven weeks, Israel has killed more civilians on a tiny strip of land than was killed in 20 years of war in the entire country of Afghanistan. I am sick and tired of people explaining this away by saying that civilian casualties are a routine toll of war. There is nothing routine about these figures. There is nothing routine about these deaths. And there are many Jewish voices, Rabbi, who who are intimating these sort of uh, sentiments as well. And when we read the stories of the Holocaust and and what happened to the Jewish people and the European rules, and, 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 you know, in Europe, the Jewish people have suffered a lot. Uh, When Israel does this, this, and what we see on TV, babies being carried, women being killed, it, it takes away some of that sympathy and empathy away, doesn't it? And that's not right. Because we don't want that empathy to go away. Yeah, uh, yeah, we don't, and many Jewish people don't. Mm. But it seems that Israel doesn't care about that anymore. Really? Uh, yeah, and that's a problem. Mm. I think, in their view, I don't know. As I say, I I, I try to understand what's going on because. Yeah. You know, how can I do, I I need, as a Jewish leader, I need to be uh, present. For example, in January, we have a Holocaust Day. How do I look? What do I tell now? Hmm. Uh, We have, uh, uh, well, not all community do that, but... uh, Many communities have Israel Independence Day where they do some festivities, and uh, which is all good. Uh, which is all should happen. You know. No, no, it yeah. is good. Absolutely. But you know, you know, I want to be. I cannot play here mm. a propaganda game. I want to be uh, uh, in, in my, with my integrity, and uh, I need <coughs> to be honest. That's that's a call from God. That's Indeed. not a call this from is, this politicians. This is a sign of true faith. I cannot uh, celebrate a monster. I need to. <laughs> mm, strong words yes. there, Rabbi. Strong words. Uh, uh, my co-host oh, is yes. Yeah, my co-host will leave. Mm. He wants to ask a question. Uh, Rabbi, um, uh, thank you very much. Uh, I, I want to know what is the position about the Jewish faith when it comes to this kind of action? Does it support it or does it um, condemn it? Okay, I think it's safe to say that 
Judaism as understood by our rabbis, by our tradition, does not support this sort of violence. The problem has always been, it's not only in Judaism so, but with any religion, that powerful, mainly men, <laughs> took it up and abused it to their interest. And so it's understandable that many people today don't want to have something to do with religion. And that's a tragedy. It's a sign of the yeah. Western world, isn't it? They're, they're turning away from God. <coughs> yes. Mm. And, yeah, so, uh, so not just within uh, Judaism, know, but in Christian world as well. Oh, yeah. But also, also in the Muslim uh, sorry, world. Yeah, go on, Sheikh Haman. Sorry, I, I, what happened? I'm sorry to say this, but, you know, all religions teach peace. All religions teach non-violence. Yeah. All religions believe that, you know, we are men of faith and we should promote peace, we should promote love, we should promote affection between the human beings. Mm. When politics takes over, unfortunately, there are individuals, uh, and these are really individual actions um, of the very, very far right-wing people yeah. who actually who actually support this kind of violence for aims that are beyond human understanding. And we as Muslims uh, understand that because of some the, the terrorists are also the extreme end of Islamic teaching, which has nothing to do with Islam. Correct. Absolutely mm. right. Yeah. yeah. So I don't. I, I really do not justify uh, the fact that uh, the actions that have been taken, and and how does it help? I mean, if if we are talking of wars. How does it help human beings? Mm. The same amount of money can actually be spent on making things better for the human beings globally, Indeed. not just in in the state of Israel or Gaza or or Palestine, but globally. I mean, this kind of money. I mean, I've got a list here, um, which I don't know whether it'd be appropriate for me to read, but it's from the Wall Street Journal, published of the of the list of weapons sent by the Biden administration. To the oh. occupation army since the beginning of the war, yeah. and and just to just to name, uh, for example, one, they've sent them five thousand bombs of MK eighty two model, five thousand four hundred bombs of the MK eighty four model, and the list goes on and, and on and, and on. And all they are going to do is bring about more destruction. Correct, and then it's it's also alleged. I'm I'm not sure if this is actually true or not, but they've also sent them these um, bombs which actually destroy bunkers yeah so i mean does that help frankly does the does the west uh, which claims to be the most civilized civilization in existence today i mean are they saying that we are civilized mm. and do they justify these actions yes it's impossible question, to believe that indeed question uh, questions that need to be asked uh, and, and and talking of wars now uh, i've got a young imam here daniel kalun who wants to ask the rabbi a question uh, daniel yes uh, mr rabbi i have a question um, obviously i've studied our islamic scripture i've studied the torah and the bible yeah. a little bit as well um, i'm sure you've studied um, a lot of scripture as well um, i have a question with regards to the rules and engagements of war so for example uh, in this show we've um, regularly discussed what islam teaches in a war setting in a yeah. war scenario what should what can and 
what cannot Muslims do, right, um, according to the yeah. rules. So I was wondering, um, would you be able to shed some light on what your scripture says with regards to how um, Jewish people should act in a in a war war scenario? Um, so the rules and regulations of war, as laid out yes. by your scripture. Yes, I so, mean it's a bit uh, a, a big uh, field. Yeah. <laughs> there are basically. <laughs> but, but we have two aspects. minutes, Rabbi. <laughs> Let me try. Let me try. Just the main one points. One is yeah. called use ad bello, and one is called use in bello. That means in in uh, Latin terms. One law is what justifies a war, and mm. one law is what to do when there is a war. Ah, mm-hmm. okay. Okay. Yeah. And they are very important that they are not mixed, because mm. in, in the modern city, they are always mixed. You know, the, uh, yes, the yes. justice, the... The, 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 uh, the mixed uh, religion and so politics. Let me, let me yeah. say something very simple. Scripture uh, talks a lot about wars because in the times of scriptures um, you uh, basically were uh, uh, going to uh, defend or conquer a strip of land and, uh, and uh, you did it in, in, in such and such a manner. Yeah. Now, since the uh, destruction of our temple, which was 2,000 years ago, mm-hmm. um, we were sent into exile, and we don't have any justification to um, go and wage a war and to conquer the land, which in Scripture says is ours, to take it back by force. Okay, interesting. Is that because... Yes. Um, and that led mm-hmm. now to a big discussion in the uh, 20th century when uh, Zionist uh, ideology emerged. It didn't came from the religious community. It came from a secular community mm-hmm. who actually hated the religious. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the majorities of rabbis said, this is not a good idea, we can't do it, we have to wait for our redemption. The fact that the land is yours doesn't mean that you can take it by force. You have mm, to wait. Which, which is very interesting. Very interesting, and So yes. this is a train of thought. This is... Um, a situation that you will nowhere find in the media now because people are afraid that's going to step uh, to stab our people into the back in the current conflict Indeed. but it has to be said now be. what happened uh, you know that uh, Jews were feeling very frustrated that they never were given rights, any rights, and the um, disaster of the Holocaust led to that, that people, especially Britain, said, okay, uh, we give you, a, we allow you to go there back. Yes? But Britain didn't do its job properly. It just left them there and fighting with each other. 
it displaced people telling them, you know, hey, the Jews might come, but uh, you know, it's, you can come back. Mm. And they could never come back. Okay. Because what happened then, we know it, the Arab world uh, didn't accept any partition plan made by a British guy with a ruler. Okay. And, uh, the and they waged war, and they lost the war. Mm-hmm. And so the, um, the existence of Israel yeah. is an existence that is purely uh, as a modern state and should follow the rights and the duties and the responsibilities mm-hmm. of any modern state. It cannot, according to Jewish tradition, claim uh, some sort of religious justification for what it does. Okay. Uh, and this is the big misunderstanding, I think, indeed. In, in the current situation. Yep. Also, for Jews in Israel, uh, if they always argue, uh, yeah, but we are here. Uh, yeah, it, it is your land, but that doesn't but mean you can that you can it. now but do you can what share you it want. And you can share it peacefully as well. And, and, and yes, it was always over centuries, it was like this, yeah. that religious Jews who liked the land would go there, would purchase land, would live peacefully mm. with the inhabitants of the land, and they would greatly profit one from each other. Yeah. And uh, so that was the status quo till modern Israel exists. Okay. So Rabbi, I, I, I don't believe the religious justification no. because that is bad and it's bad for the Jewish people. It's bad for the world to believe that okay. justification. Okay. Uh, Rabbi, I'm justified gonna... to have Israel, but this is a modern state. It needs to go according to the laws of every modern state. So Indeed, of course, and, and this is yeah. what we shout about many Muslim states as well. Uh, just let me bring Sheikh Ramal. Sheikh Ramal, uh, some very fantastic insight into the Jewish thinking of uh, uh, rules around the wars. Uh, and Islam is also very clear on this as well. And, and, and the rabbi was saying at the end that Jews go to, to land, they buy the properties or they buy land and they live in peace there. Uh, Muslims and Jews have had a very good relationship in, in their history uh, mm-hmm. until the time possibly Israel was created. But prior to that, there was... The thousands of years, yes. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, particularly Jews living in Muslim countries. Correct. Correct. Jews in Muslim countries always had a much better time than in Christian countries, sorry to say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. Like, for example, when uh, the um, when the Spanish, Christian Catholic... Spanish Inquisition. Exa- exactly, during the Spanish Inquisition. Spanish Inquisition. And, and uh, Isabella kicked mm. out the Muslims, yeah. the Moors, the Jews also left yeah. because they, were, they had more peace mm. with the Muslims. Exactly, the Jews uh, migrated that, to yeah. um, North Africa Indeed. with the Muslims. Uh, uh, let's uh, listen to a clip here of the Rabbi... Um, oh, I've forgotten the name of the Rabbi. I've just misplaced my breath. Uh, uh, oh... <laughs> 
Shapiro. Shapiro. Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro, yes. Don't call him Rabbi. Okay, okay. No, 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 no. Not to be confused with Ben Shapiro. No, 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 not Ben Shapiro. This is Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro from Washington. I know. That is okay. That's a real Rabbi. Yes, okay, good. Thank you. I just was worried. Yes, yeah, yeah. In fact, Shapiro is not so No, no, no. In fact, he was asked a question. Are you related to Ben Shapiro? He said, not at all. <laughs> But let's listen to what he said about Hassan, Jewish sorry, Muslim sorry history. To, go sorry ahead. to interrupt before you yes. play the clip or yes. after you've played the clip. No, no, go ahead. I, I would also like the respected Imam Sahib to actually uh, just very briefly explain the rules of engagement of war as Islam teaches us. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's, we'll, we'll do that. We'll play the clip first. And Thank then you. I'll ask Imam Kalun to say a few words. Thank you. Thank you for that. They like to conflate it because this way, number one, they get the support of the evangelicals. Number two, uh, they have a. It's very easy to. Uh, the, the, all the terrorists would just come and destroy all the Jews and kill all the Jews. If you ask them that the Jews and Muslims lived in peace for for uh, over a thousand years. And why is it suddenly now, suddenly now, that the Muslims suddenly, these guys allegedly hate Jews? Clearly. And, and suddenly want to kill them? Clearly, it's Zionism that's the problem. It's not Islam, and it's not, Mus it's not Muslims against Jews. That's the main thing we have to tell people. It's a political thing. It's Israel. It's not the Jews. They like to conflate it because this way, number one, they get the support of the evangelicals. Number two, uh, they have a. It's very easy to say if you're a Palestinian, you're an anti-Semite. The only reason why you don't want a Jewish state there, the only reason why you you, you allow Israel to, because you're an anti-Semite. It's a political conflict. That was uh, Rabbi Yekav uh, Shapiro uh, from Washington. So Sheikh Rahman uh, Daniel uh, asked the question that what are the rules of engagements for war for Muslims? What does the Quran or the example of the Holy Prophet, what do they say very quickly? Yes, so um, in a very brief amount of time, I'll just mention, first of all, the list is very extensive, the rules of yeah, war. Yeah. Um, and that's actually a good thing because there's there are a lot of limitations upon Muslims which should be enforced upon mus Muslims yeah. to follow. And different wars can have different scenarios, so everything has to be covered. Yeah. E exactly, exactly. But for example, um, we find that the Holy Quran mentions that fight in the cause of Allah against those who fight against you so firstly um, it should be defensive yeah. right you cannot initiate a war you shouldn't initiate exactly but do not tr transgress right yeah um, so that literally means that don't go over the limit yeah. if you're fighting a war just fight the combatants right don't go okay. don't uh, spread it out um, past that and what I mean by that or what Islam means by that is that for example no trees um, are to be felled Right, yeah, which is bearing trees, fruit bearing trees, which is very important, even um, for food, for sustenance, and also for the environment. Right, um, these yeah. days we have climate change; we have issues with that. Um, you know, deforestation is a huge is issue. Mm. No trees to be felled, no crops to be destroyed, no animals to be killed. Right, very important again for sustenance for the um, ecosystem. No inhabited place to be ruined. Very, very important, especially in this current conflict where the whole city of Gaza, which is an Uh, fully inhabited, fully inhabited yeah. is being absolutely decimated same thing happened um, in the first Gulf War with depleted uranium um, being dropped on the Iraqis um, same thing happened uh, in for example uh, 
1763, I believe, the British troops gave uh, blankets which had smallpox on it to the Native Americans, mm. and they didn't know that it had that disease. So that whole um, habitat or that whole village or the suffered. whole tribe just suffered from, from that. A lot of rules and regulations in Islam with regards to these kind of things. Civilians and non-combatants are not to be harmed either, right? The old style of war is what Islam um, says if you are put in a war scenario then this is what you should follow where um, the two armies face off against each other not the modern right. style of warfare where entire cities and civ civilians and civilizations mm -hmm. are decimated thank you very much for sharing that rabbi just one last question to you then um, do you feel that israel is doing enough to stop civilian deaths because that is that is turning the public relations of this away from Israel's narrative and against Israel's right to defend. Uh, am I allowed to get something um, um, con uh, um, something audacious here? Uh, something. Audacious. Please, Rabbi, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll try to, as long as the language is good and uh, there's no incitement no, to no, hatred. Okay, I try. <laughs> I'm already used to language here, but it's a strong topic. So yes, it is, it is. It is. Soft language. I personally think the world does too little and leaves Israel with a dirty job. The world does too little to stop. Rabbi, uh, Rabbi your voice is your voice is slightly breaking up. Can you keep the phone near your mouth? That would be helpful. Yes. Thank you. So okay. I I want to say something controversial. I want to say that I think the world does too little. Yes. Or, if you want to say it like this, I want to say it like this, for the Palestinian people, just too little. Mm -hmm. If we look at it, it is, they, uh, they teach the morals to it, but there is little action. Mm. It leaves it to Israel to look what Israel does, mm. and and uh, that's I think the greatest problem. And also, it leaves it to the Americans to give the Israel the bombs, etc. This is not the solution. It is a problem that must be addressed by the world mm. and the world needs to be more proactive to force uh, the Hamas, the terrorists to stop their actions because what has been left out so far is that in our discussion mm. uh, that Hamas still wants, and they say it openly, to destroy Israel. They go on shooting bombs. They go on. I think the world should be at a stage, including the, the um, Arab states, to say, 
No, it's going to be a disaster. It's clear that it's going to be a disaster. By now it is clear for the picture we see. The world needs to do more. And one address is to say surrender. They have to tell the Hamas to surrender. I don't know whether that's a meaningful thing, because I, as I say, I don't know anything about terrorism, really. But I, I, I think, why not? Okay, okay. Why well, we don't hear that? Uh, this is uh, just what, what I think. Yeah. Uh, l- I think l- l- Israel does, has, can't do what, what they can do. Yeah. They might be now angry and they want to solve the problem. It solves nothing. Nothing, yeah. Because by killing all those people, those civilians, they will create more Hamas. Exactly what Hamas wants. Yes, exactly. Hamas wants Israel to be hated. Hamas wants also the Muslims in the world, other Muslims who don't agree with that sort of terrorism, to be feared and hated. And that's the vicious cycle. Indeed. The world needs to stand up and say, surrender, that's not what we do here. Uh, Rabbi, uh, because of time, I'm just going to ask the last word to uh, Sheikh Rahman. Sheikh Rahman, last word to you is that if you want Hamas to be uh, uh, not to exist, what you really want is what the rabbi is saying is that you need to give more support to Palestine, make them feel valued, give them dignity. There'll be no oxygen left for people like Hamas to crop up and do the things that they're doing. Well, I think um, it's a view that one takes that Hamas are a terrorist group. They don't believe so. They, They think that they're fighting for their rights. Right or wrong, I don't know. It's political. The fact is that the United Nations provided a solution many, many years ago, uh, which is to have a two-state solution. Palestinians and Israel, the Jews should exist together. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've existed for many, many years before this time. Yeah. Why is it that since uh, Israel was created that this, this, this nonsense, well, I'm sorry, sorry for the cho- choice of words, that this has actually... Okay. Um, this um, this enmity and animosity exists between the two. Yeah. Um, it, it's still possible, uh, but you can't have uh, the Jewish representative at the United Nations tearing up a piece of paper that was presented to by the UN Secretary General mm. um, of the atrocities committed, and he tore it up and said that we don't we don't accept. You know, but there's no respect for. Mm an institution which was created primarily after World War II to prevent incidents like what is happening today. Indeed. Uh, Gentlemen, it's been absolutely fascinating to listen to both of you. Thank you so much for being very frank and being so dignified in your approaches. And uh, 
for speaking out for humanity. I think that is what I take from the discussion today. So thank you very much to both of you, and I wish we can have you again on our show. Uh, and certainly, uh, we, me and Rabbi were going to meet up last week, and you were feel, not feeling that great to attend. Uh, but uh, I hope you're feeling much better, Rabbi, and thank you very much for coming on the show today. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you, Hassan, for inviting us, and it's been a pleasure. As, as always. As, as is always. <laughs> as is thank our pleasure so to have you. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Right. We're going to very quickly move on to the last segment of the show, which is the sports. Sorry to keep you waiting, Shahid. Assalamu alaikum, Shahid. Thank you. No problem. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, right, the Premiership is back on track. Uh, we've had the uh, the qualifiers uh, uh, over and done with, and uh, now the results from the weekend. Some very good results. Arsenal are, uh, are hot on the tracks of everyone at the moment. Absolutely. They are four points clear at the moment as it stands. And uh, as you mentioned, City and Tottenham in the week came today with uh, Man City trying to catch up with them uh, with one game less. And Liverpool also on the uh, not far off, 28 points. So there are some, fascin- as you said, there are some fascinating results that have been. Uh, and Arsenal are the outstanding team at the moment. And, and Man U losing again. Yeah. They, do you think they got a footballing lesson from Newcastle yesterday? <laughs> I, I, I think what, what I saw the highlights, and I think most of us have probably seen the way that I think they just got away from that uh, 1 0 result. And mm. uh, it could have been a lot more. And I think you're absolutely right. I think, the, I think Manchester United, the way they're playing at the moment, there's a lot to be desired. Yeah, flashy goals like Rooney's and uh, Gulacho's goal aren't enough to win the championship or games, is it? Mm. Absolutely. They're just giving the uh, manager some time, I think, to stay for the moment. What do you think about uh, Burnley getting their first win? (laughs) Five. Yeah, Sheffield, I think, are really rough bottom at the moment. And I think the result was on, like that was on the cards at some time, some stage of this tournament. I think uh, fascinating in the sense that it is a big score, but there have been some big, some big, big scores as well. But because mostly with teams with lesser players or less players than we've been sent off and so forth. But it was, I think, uh, Sheffield United were really uh, struggling, to be honest with you. And I think that Burnley took their chance as well. Mm. And how do you think Tottenham will fare against City today? <laughs> that's a big question. I think that people are asking it could be a very big score if, uh, if what, uh, to our manager keeps playing the way he has been playing. Mm. Uh, so whether or not he still with his number of injuries and so forth, absentees, whether he still pursues with that to, um, mode of uh, attacking football uh, might be to his detriment. But looks of it, and this might be his fourth big defeat on the run. So. Uh, it's coming at the wrong time for him and I think the snow might have helped them had the match been called off today. We'll discuss more Premiership, uh, we'll discuss the European uh, tournament uh, next time but I just want to touch on uh, the World Cup, World Cricket, uh, the World Cup in cricket, the 50 over uh, version that was just completed. You were away, we couldn't get hold of you that Sunday uh, but a lot of criticism to the tournament, uh, although Australia won it handsomely, uh, much to the anger of the Indians. I'm not quite sure why that is the case. Like you said, there has been anger. Uh, there is, I mean, as far as the worthy winners were concerned, obviously India having won nine games on the trot and expected that they were the firm favourites favorites to be uh, get the cup. Hmm. Uh, but Australia, I think, turned up on the day and the fact that I think 
in terms of the actual match itself, uh, the international flavor of the World Cup was lost. I think that's something that... Many were saying it was more an IPL tournament rather than an ICC tournament. It has been coming to that for a long time, and the fact that India have been getting all the big tournaments and the fact that it was in a, such a big venue and so forth, everything was uh, orchestrated for them to get the mm. cup itself. And when you don't get even the players themselves, the squads are giving last-minute visas and that for a World Cup, it just shows the fact that everything was for the fact that... Uh, uh, that's one thing I didn't know. I, for one, am not a great fan of IPL in any event. Yeah. Uh, it, for me, it's a local tournament and it has just mushroomed out of all proportion and that's the reason that this World Cup came to that. But in the end, I think the fact that Australia are worthy winners in terms of the fact that they actually they just progressed through the tournament as they're having lost the first two and then going on to win it with some, I mean, fantastic uh, individual performances by Maxwell and so forth. Uh, so, but nevertheless, but with regard to your mention about the fact that there was, uh, I wouldn't say, as far as India is concerned, I mean, everything was pointing to the fact that they would cup, carry the cup, and that what wasn't ha- it didn't happen, hmm. and I think the fans are very uh, aggrieved, be- aggrieved because of that. The fact that they, I think they were all ready for the celebration, which didn't c- come about, and it was sad to see that the player, many of the uh, uh, <laughs> spectators left the stadium before I mean, the presentation. To be honest, and all and that, yeah, that happens. I mean, mm. uh, to be honest, with you, just one thing that I uh, in the Champions Trophy when it was held at the Oval in the morning, you see all the fans all blue, with the, all the stadiums all blue, mm. but in the evening it had turned to green, and that's one of the things that pe- the fans do turn away, Yes. but having yes. been held in, in, in the host nation and so forth, I don't expect them to give it better respect to Indeed. the nation. That mm. Sorry about that.